This is uh, the eighth part of a ten-part series that we have been doing on values of the cross. And this uh, series, I've, I've said this a number of times, but I want to reiterate that it is not all of the values of the cross, but it is some of the values of cross church. And so, a little play on words, but I would say that our values that we're putting out there are His values as well. And so today we're going to look at one more of those values. But then uh, turn your attention to Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. And uh, of course the context of this is not too many uh, months and, uh, from Pentecost, where in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost is, uh, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the, ch- the power of the Spirit is poured out and the church is born. And then they go into a, a significant revival. And then following the revival, there's some persecution that takes place. And then you have Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. And then more revival. And uh, so from there, it jumps into a situation where there is some disgruntled people in the church. That would never happen in this church, but in that church in Jerusalem, there were some disgruntled people, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this, this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. When they had prayed, they laid hands on them. In verse 7, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So I'm going to preach just for a little bit today on leadership development. Leadership development, and I, and I realize it doesn't sound like a spiritual subject, but I'm going to try to make it spiritual, but it is biblical, and so everything that's biblical is is by definition spiritual, right? Because the Word of God is quick and powerful. The Word of God is infused with the Spirit of God. So we're going to preach on leadership development. God bless you. You may be seated. There are various definitions of leadership. Uh, Leadership is... uh, in some ways, very ambiguous because you, you run into people who call themselves leaders all the time, and, and sometimes they have no one following them. As John Maxwell once said, if you, he who thinketh he leadeth and has no one following is just taking a walk. And so you have some of that. And, and then there are people that would say that leadership is influence and the, the ability to influence people and get them to do something, to behave differently, to go a different direction, whatever that happens to be. But regardless of the definition of, of leadership, there are questions at times as to who can lead and how can a person lead. You've, I'm sure you've all heard this, and they are a born leader. Anybody ever heard that? 
They are a born leader. And so what people mean by that is they just have this innate leadership ability or the ability to get people to follow them, even if it's not for a good, a good uh, thing. I, I've been around a lot of people that were good at leading people astray. And uh, when I was a teenager, peer pressure and all of that, hey, man, let's go do this. No, I don't want to do it. Oh, you can do it. And then they convince everybody to follow them and whatever it is they happen to do. And I may have been guilty of that at times in my teenage years. But the Bible says that, that God alone raises up leaders in our nation, God alone in the nations, rather. And, and I've said that numerous times leading up to the election. So I, I want to actually give you Bible for what I've been saying. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel is, has been given the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. That Nebuchadnezzar has had this dream and his, his wise men couldn't interpret it. And so God uh, gives Daniel the dream. And before Daniel goes and tells Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of the dream, Daniel prays and gives praise to God. And in that, he says this. And he, speaking of God, changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. That God is the one that is in charge of kings. He is the one that raises up leaders of the nations and takes them down. And, and then there is a time when, when God has said that he, he used this phrase before the Babylonian captivity of Judah. He used this phrase. He says, my king Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to come and he's going to take and punish the people. And so God says, he's my king. I have raised him up for this purpose, so that he can come in and punish Judah for their wickedness. And then Jeremiah tells us, though, even long before this happens, that God is going to bring down Nebuchadnezzar. Just read it real quick. Jeremiah 25 says, Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. That God who has raised him up is the same God who takes him down. And if God does this on a macro scale, if God is the one who raises up leaders on this big scale, then does God do that on a small scale? Does God raise up leaders in, in a lesser than a nationalistic type scenario? And if he does, well, how do we become leaders or do we sit around and wait on God just to raise us up and go, well, if, if I, when I'm ready, I'll make you a leader? Are there things that we should do? Are we able to choose leaders? Or is God really superintending the whole process and we have no say-so in it? So I, I want to look at this in light of, of Acts chapter 6 and this leadership development and see how it plays out in the early church. And I would tell you this, that developing leaders is essential for kingdom growth. That if the kingdom is going to grow, you have to have leaders that are developed and leaders that are raised up. Otherwise, the kingdom will not grow. So I'm going to point out four different things uh, from this and really it's answering this question of why should we develop leaders and, and why should we be concerned about leadership development. The first thing is this, is that developing leaders maintains proper priorities developing leaders maintains proper priorities Acts 6 
verses 2 and 4. And I'm going to read verse 3 just for the context as well. But it says this, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what the disciples or the apostles said is this, we have a task and we have a mission that we are going to accomplish and it does not include us serving tables. Now there's nothing wrong with serving tables, but it just wasn't their calling. It wasn't what they were supposed to be doing. They said we are going to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They were all for the food pantry. They were all for the widows being taken care of and the distribution of food by the church to the widows. They wanted that done and they wanted it done well, but they were not going to leave their task and their calling to see that it was done. So they said, we're going to keep our priorities. Go pick some people to lead this. Pick some people to be in charge of this and to oversee this. And what I would tell you is it takes all of the body of Christ to accomplish the work of the kingdom. That everybody in the kingdom is needed. You can't just do it with a preacher and go, man, I sure hope that that goes well. Good luck on getting all of this done. There are a lot of churches out there uh, that they actually don't even call their, their pastor, they don't call them pastors. I, I had a friend of mine who was, uh, when I was working at a Bible college, we were in the process of accreditation and he was part of a kind of a non-denomination denomination. It was a loose association of churches and uh, about the size of the United Pentecostal Church, but spread. You know, it was a different kind of structure. And he said they don't call their pastor pastor. They call him preacher. Because they and, and the reality is what he said is they don't really want a pastor. They want somebody who's just going to get up and preach. They just want somebody that's just going to say, this is what the Bible says, and good luck on living it out. But they didn't want that pastoral role of somebody that's actually shepherding shepherding them. They just wanted a preacher, which I found very interesting. But the reality is some churches, they look at their preacher and go, well, you're supposed to be doing evangelism, and you're supposed to do this, and we're just going to come and listen to the preacher And you do everything else because you're paid to do that. But the reality is it takes all of the body of Christ to accomplish the work of the kingdom. And that I can't build a church. I can't plant this church by myself. In fact, if you weren't here and there were no cameras, I wouldn't be here either. (laughs) That I'm not going to show up and preach to an empty room and be like, well, I'm just doing my job of preaching. No, but it takes people to invite people and people to to do music and people to greet and people to do coffee and all of the things that we do in a typical Sunday worship gathering. It takes the whole body. And in fact, and I preached on this a few months ago, but Ephesians 4.11 says that the role of the, the leadership of the church or the pastor, the evangelists, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are to equip the people for the work of ministry. That what my job is, is to equip you to do ministry like I'm doing. To multiply the effects of ministry within the body of Christ. It takes the whole body to do the work of the kingdom. Moses was trying to do everything by himself. 
after, shortly after they, they went through the Red Sea, they're in the wilderness. And his father-in-law, Jethro, comes and observes what Moses is doing. He sees that, that Moses is trying to be everything to everybody. And he's got multiple millions of people. Estimates would be two or three million by most people. Some would maybe say it's a little smaller, but it could be two or three million people. And if you've ever been around people, guess what? People have problems. Uh, there's a, a guy I know, he wrote a book. He says, people are pitiful and we're all people. So we, we all have problems. We all have issues. And, and, and he, he, he says that what Jethro sees Moses doing is that Moses sets himself up. He gets him a chair. He sets out. And the people are all coming to Moses, asking him to answer and solve all of their problems. And so Moses sitting there from dawn until dark, and all of these people are just standing there waiting. And, and Jethro sees this, and he's like, why are you doing that? He said, well, because these people have problems. I need to help them out. I need to give them answers. And he said, you can't do it all by yourself. You can't answer all of their problems. You don't have enough time to answer all the problems and fix all the problems for all these people. And so Jethro, and, and, and I think this was probably under uh, the, the direction of the Lord, but he said, here's what you need to do. You need to appoint rulers or leaders over thousands. That for every thousand people, you need a leader over those. And then within that thousand people, for every hundred people, you need one leader for every hundred. So you need ten people within that structure. And then he said, if within every fifty people in that, then you need a leader over them, or a captain as he calls it. And then for every ten people inside that, then you need a leader over them. And what he really did and effectively did was set up a small group ministry back in Exodus chapter 18 where he says we got all we got a leader over 10 and then we got five leaders within that branch but those each of those five leaders now have a leader over them over that whole 50 and then you have the leader over 100 and all the way up to a thousand that he says you have to delegate you have to break it up because you need to maintain your priorities which is hearing from God not answering all of their problems and it's exactly what the apostles ran into in Acts 6. They said, we don't have time to go and fix all these problems and serve everybody and do these things. We have a calling, which is to do prayer and the ministry of the word. And we are going to give ourselves to that and let somebody else lead the other ministries. So when you develop leaders, it helps you maintain proper priorities. And if this gets confusing, you can follow along in the church app. The, the, my notes are in there, or a very succinct version of my notes. But the second thing is that developing leaders emphasizes godliness. Developing leaders emphasizes godliness. Verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business what's interesting is they didn't say go and find some people that are really good at serving tables they didn't say go and find people that are hellenistic as well so to make sure that they'll take care of all this and they'll they'll do it just right because it's their people now the reality is that the people they chose were primarily it was actually a mixture but there were multiple ones of those were actually uh not uh, from Jerusalem, if you read the text, and they had Greek names, which meant they were part of the Hellenist group. 
So they wisely chose people that weren't going to be all people from Jerusalem and like, well, we end up with the same problem. But beyond that, what they said is we need people of good reputation. That means you, you pick people and you put people in leadership who have been living well, who have been doing things well, that haven't been cheating the people, haven't been shortchanging the people. They're not stabbing them in the back. They have a good reputation. And ultimately, what I would tell you is that character trumps everything else. When it comes to the kingdom, character trumps competency. And it even trumps chemistry. When when they talk about, a lot of times you talk about leadership and you want people on your team, the three primary C's are character, competence, and chemistry. And what that means is that I, I want people that are going to be honest and they're going to have integrity and they're going to be people who are serving God and they're going to be living for God and they're going to put the kingdom first. And then like, well, I also want people that can actually do the job. If you can't do the job, well, I mean, that's, that, that's, not, that's not going to be good. Which is why I, I shouldn't be a worship leader. I, I, I make do. And nobody's ran off yet. I haven't had anybody else say, you know, we're not coming back because you're up there leading worship. By the way, I'm so glad Pastor Cedric was here today leading worship. Let's give him a hand again. But if I really couldn't sing at all or carry a tune in a bucket, it would not be the wise thing to have me singing. You need a certain competency level in order to do certain things. And so... I talked about this last week, if you, if you have a, the personality of a stick and you don't want to see people, you're probably not the best person to be greeting. You want somebody that is kind of amiable and they're a little like outgoing and they're like, hey, so glad you came to church today. But you need people with a certain competency. And that third C I mentioned was chemistry, which is how well do they fit together. And, and that gets into a little bit more than, than I want to talk about in this, in this church setting. But character trumps all of that. That you can have somebody that's super competent and they're a great person to be around, but they'll steal you blind. You don't want that. You, you want somebody with character. And he said, so the apostle said, find people of good reputation. But not only do people think good of them, but they are full of the Holy Spirit. That they need to have the Holy Spirit operating in their life. And, and the, the, the phrase full of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's not that, it's not, he's, he's not just saying, well, people that have had a, a salvation experience and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but when you see that phrase, full of the Holy Spirit, you see it in Acts chapter 4 as well. That's when the Holy Spirit is actually at work in your life and is in control of what you're doing, and people can sense the Spirit of God working in you. It's not, no, I just had a salvation experience 30 years ago. No, you need to be full or under the control of the Spirit in the present. And then he said... Full of wisdom. And and wisdom can be trained and developed. It's not that you have to just be just so wise on your own. But if you're going to lead, you've got to have some wisdom so that you can make the wise choice under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And you have to have a good reputation so people trust what you're doing. But ultimately, it is not about personality and it is not about charisma. That the apostles didn't say, go and find leaders who are really charismatic and they're really outgoing and they're really people that, man, I want to follow them. No, that wasn't even on the radar, but it was good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Titus in 1 Timothy 
in their list of deacons, in their list of, of bishops, but Paul is writing these two different epistles and he puts these requirements for, for leadership and people that are going to be over the church. Outgoing personality is not in any of those. Hospitable is, but almost everything with the exception of apt to teach or able to teach, everything else is all about character. It's all about are you godly? Are you following Jesus Christ? Are you living out the fruit of the Spirit not about how gifted you may be. In fact, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, and when people get to thinking they're all of that and then some, Paul wrote this, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So if you get called by God, you may put yourself in that. He doesn't call the wise people. That's why he called you. It'll help you with your pride when you realize he's not calling you because you're all that and then some. He's not going, man, look how awesome this guy is. I should get him on my team. God doesn't do that. God says, man, look how pitiful he is, but I can use him for my glory. This may be humorous, but I've said to a few people, man, if God can use a donkey, he can use you. (laughs) You may be lower than this donkey, but if he can use... Hey, don't don't get too excited about how good you may be. It's all about your character and your integrity and how you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're full of the Holy Spirit. So not only does developing leaders maintain proper priorities and it emphasizes godliness, but it is also spiritual and strategic. Verse 5, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So there are a few things here. One is, there is some observation that goes into the the choices of leadership. We looked at it, it's about good reputation. That's something that you observe, that you can see, being full of the Holy Spirit It's not like you have a meter on your head, but no, you observe how people act and how they react and and what they're doing and how God is using them. So there's some observation. It's just part of that strategic part. But it's not just strategic and observation and looking at who can do the job, but it's also, he says, when they had prayed. That prayer goes into the choice of leadership. It's not just we choose leaders and then we pray and hope we made a good choice. No, prayer goes into it. It is a spiritual endeavor when you are picking leaders and you are choosing who is going to be developed and who's going to come up to the top, as it were. But training is implicit in this. It's that that they, they are going to be taught how to serve tables. They didn't look at people who had been serving tables, but they looked at people who had the character to be able to be trained to do that. And they lay hands on them, and that is, that is symbolic of, the, and they actually laid hands on them, but, but that is a symbolic of a, an anointing where you lay your hands on them and say, God is going to bless what you're doing. And that God is in this process, so it is both spiritual and it is strategic. Nehemiah, one of my, my favorite examples of leadership. In fact, I, I taught a leadership class back in the day. Uh, at Bible college, and, and I used Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, as a framework for what I did. But in this, this context of spiritual and strategic, 
One of the things that stood out about Nehemiah to me is this, is that Nehemiah, he's getting ready, he's trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The enemy is there, and they're they're talking, man, we're going to kill you, we're going to run you all out, God's not on your side, all this stuff. So the enemy's constantly talking, and this is not just the devil, I mean, this is a physical enemy with an army camped out around them going, hey, we're going to kill you all, man, we're going to wipe you out. This is not, in that sense, it's not spiritual, it is physical, They're, they're out there with swords and shields and spears. But Nehemiah, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, you know what, God's going to take care of us. Just ignore them out there and do your job. Nor does he say, we're, gonna, man, we're, just, we're not going to build the walls. We're going to spend all day praying that God will protect us. He doesn't do either one. He actually does both. Where he says this, he says, we have prayed and God is going to, vi- to give us the victory. So they worked and they began to do this. They put prayer and they put the spiritual with the actual doing of the work. That they worked, the Bible says, with a sword in one hand and a trial in the other. That they didn't put their sword down and be like, man, we're just going to keep working and hopefully we can get to our weapons. No, we're going to do both. We're going we're to have our sword here so if they come, we're ready. God's going to give the victory, but we're going to actually fight too. We're not going to just hope that God shows up and takes care of all of them. God's going to use us with our sword to take care of the enemy, but we're going to work at the same time. He said it at night, he says, so we, we prayed for protection, but we set a watch. We prayed that God was going to take care of us, but we actually got up on the wall where we were, we were building and we're looking out to make sure that the enemy wasn't coming. So if they decided to come, we were ready for them. But God's going to give the victory. And the reality is it's a both and. It's, it, it's, not, it's not one or the other. Or as a good friend of mine says, he, it is this and that. It is being spiritual and it's being strategic. It is, it is praying, but it is also doing the work. It is trusting God, but being involved in the kingdom. Developing leaders is spiritual and strategic. That God has called us to develop and raise up leaders. As I read earlier from Ephesians chapter 4, the job of the apostles, prophets, prophets evangelists, pastors, and teachers is to equip people to do work of ministry that it's not go you watch me do it but my job is to equip you to do it which means god wants everybody working in the kingdom and that means he doesn't just want a bunch of grunts out there he wants people in leadership as well i don't know if any of you play play chess and this just popped in my head but you you have you know, you have the rooks and the bishops, and you have the knights, and you have the king and the queen, and then you have all the little pawns. The kingdom is not about, you got the one king, or in chess, the queen, who she's the most powerful. That, that may speak to somebody, I don't know. <laughs> but when people play chess, they just sacrifice the pawns, man, push the pawn out there, especially if they don't know what to do, and they just kind of sacrifice them because they got to get rid of somebody. But that's not the way the church is. It's not about you got these leaders and then everybody else is kind of expendable. No, everybody matters in the kingdom. And God wants everybody that's a pawn or not, he wants them to be on that back row 
with all of the more powerful pieces. That's what the kingdom is about. It's about lifting people and edifying people and equipping them to do more for God and to do more in the kingdom. Can I get an amen? And then lastly, developing leaders grows the kingdom. Then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That when they maintained their priority of praying and ministry and when they developed the leaders that were going to be over a different kind of ministry the word of god spread and the number of disciples was multiplied that's what the kingdom is about that when one person or just a few people try to do everything guess what the word of god's not going to spread because they're too busy to do anything they're too busy to, to be out and, and doing evangelism. They're too busy to see much happen in the church. And, but, it, but in here what we see is that the word of God spread, which means everybody is starting to do their ministry and evangelism is taking place and the word of God is spreading about what he is doing in the church. That when you have more leaders, guess what? Churches grow. And when churches grow, people start talking about, man, I wonder what God's doing over there and, What's happening over there? I mean, they're building a new building, or they're doing this, or they're doing that, or they're all out in the community doing, they're serving the community because people are involved in the kingdom. And when that happens, the word of God spreads as people talk about it and want to see what God is doing. And disciples are multiplied. That it's not just about getting a crowd. It's about making disciples. And what, he, what the Bible says is that number of the disciples multiplied. Not the number of people showing up for small group and, and not the number of people showing up for some kind of Sunday gathering. And those should take place and that's, that is going to be a result of this. But disciples were multiplied. And it's, that's what it's all about is making disciples. It's not gathering a crowd, it's not having a congregation, it's about making disciples and multiplying disciples. So much so, a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith, that a great many of these people that were anti-Christian, they were followers of the Jewish law, they were, but a great many of them were converted because of what God was doing in the church, and it's all because... The apostle said, we're going to raise up some other leaders to do this other thing. We're going to do our part, and they're going to do their part. And the kingdom will grow. And part of that growing of the kingdom, I'm going to go ahead and have musicians come, but part of that growing of the, the kingdom is this, that callings are realized as well. And what I mean by that is two of these Seven men, Stephen and Philip. We don't know about the rest of them. We don't know what else they did for God. We don't know what else had transpired in their life. But, but in Acts chapter 6, Stephen is chosen to serve tables. He's chosen to give the, the widows the bread and to make sure that they have their portion. He's chosen to, to do that and... Acts chapter 7, he's not serving tables anymore. He's preaching the gospel. That he's preaching 
So much so that, that when he's preaching, they can't, they can't combat what he's having to say. They can't combat the truth of what he's saying. And, and then Stephen, he just finally goes for broke. This was not how you win friends and influence people, but he just basically just went after them and said, you did this and you did this. And the God that you say you served did all of these things, but you crucified him. And he ends up at the end of that chapter being stoned to death. But at preaching the gospel, he had a good reputation and he was full of the Holy Ghost and he was full of wisdom. But he's just, he's serving tables now until God says, all right, you did really good there. But I've got another calling for you. Another step I want you to take, which is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philip, he's one of the seven as well. Acts chapter 8. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us what took place between Acts 6 and Acts 8. But now Philip, he's preaching the gospel of well as well. And in fact, he's the only one in the Bible who has the, the title of an evangelist. Philip the evangelist. Not Philip the table server. Not Philip the one taking care of the bread and making sure. No, he's Philip the evangelist. And he shows up in Samaria and they have this massive revival in Samaria. Then he preaches the word of God and not only does he preach the word, but the Bible says that signs and wonders followed and confirmed the word and many people believed. Chapter 6, before we get there, he's just He's just being a good Christian. And then he's serving tables. And then he's out in Samaria having great revival because he's growing and he's developing and he's not just going, I'll just sit over here. And Developing leaders grows the kingdom and developing leaders lets people realize their callings. This is the first major revival outside of a totally Jewish area then Philip because God still wants to use him he has this great revival Peter and John come down the people get the Holy Ghost and God says Philip hey go out into the desert I got somebody else I want you to meet out there And so he meets up with the Ethiopian eunuch and you know the story he gets baptized and then immediately the Bible says he, he is translated and he is now in Azotus 26 miles away preaching the gospel there I'd like to have a ministry like that on to the next town. Lord, Lord, take me on, man. But, but he, he started, he was just serving tables. But he didn't end there. That when you follow the, the path of God and the plan of God and you allow the church and you allow God to develop you into what he wants you to be, that callings are realized and the kingdom grows because of what God is doing. And it's what he wants in the church. Cross Church is not about me, it's about Him and about what He wants to do in you and what He wants to do in this city and what He wants to do all over Kansas City. But it means people getting involved, like I preached last week about serving in the kingdom, but not just being servants in the kingdom, but being leaders in the kingdom as well. If you want to grow a church, you grow the leaders. Developing leaders is essential to kingdom grow. Let's stand together.
greatest servant I said last week was Jesus. He's also the greatest leader too. Which means that the reality is that, that leadership is not about just being in charge and do what I say, but it's about servant leadership. It's about serving people, but it's also leading them to where they need to go. And you know the gospel, and I'm not going to go through the gospel again. It's in my notes to make sure I tell you the gospel. But you know that. You know that. See, I just lied. I'm going to tell you the gospel. You know that Jesus Christ came and was crucified and was buried and rose again the third day that you could have life. He led the way to our salvation. The Bible says of him he was the firstborn among many brethren that he was paving the way we don't physically die we're not physically buried we're not physically resurrected but we die spiritually through repentance and we we are buried in water baptism in the name of Jesus and then we are resurrected spiritually to walk in newness of life and he was the firstborn or as another another passage in the Bible would say and it doesn't really say this in English but the, the Greek is this he was the trailblazer that he went down the path before us as he led the way to salvation so that you and I could spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful that you get to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ today? Let me ask this last few questions. It has been asked numerous times, does God equip the called or does he call the equipped? So so to make it a little more plain English, does God call people to ministry or to do things in the kingdom that are already equipped to do this? Or does he call people who aren't equipped and then he equips them? The answer to that is yes. It's really both. It's, he calls people that have been living for him and they've been seeking to, to work in the kingdom. They've been doing what they're supposed to do and he calls those kinds of people. But the reality is we never know sometimes when the call comes and when the equipping comes. And sometimes I've seen people, they weren't equipped, but they go, man, this is what God wants me to do. So he equips them and it goes both ways. And there's a continuum there, but I would tell you that if he calls you, he will equip you. And he will equip you if he calls you. So whatever God wants you to do and whatever God wants you to be in the kingdom, he will take care of equipping you to do that. All you have to do is to respond to the call. So the questions I want, two questions I want you to think about is this. What is it that you want do for God how do you want God to use you you have great ideas and great plans man if I could do anything for God this is what it would be then God if if you pursue that God will equip you to get that done even if you don't feel called now he will call you to do that because it's for his glory and for his kingdom The last thing I would say before they sing is this. Just get in the process. Just get in the process. Work, let him work on your character. Let him develop you. 
serve wherever you can take take the next steps of being trained and developed whenever you can because you never know where it's going to end up it could end up in Samaria where you're being used by God to see signs and miracles and wonders and preaching the gospel to people who've never heard it that's the God we serve he doesn't always give us that end goal but he just said just keep following me just keep taking the next step and he'll do great things. Why don't you lift your hands where you are right now? Would you thank God for his, his goodness? Thank you for his word. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives. We praise you today, Jesus.